Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers and anyone else who loves the Hebrew Scriptures. I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. You sound like a late-night disc jockey <laughs> radio guy when you say it like that. That's awesome. So we are jumping into an episode this week, which we are calling affectionately our Shetland Pony episode as we dive into Jeremiah 2, verses 4 to 13. In about a month, we will be having a Clydesdale of an episode with the larger-than-life Carol Newsom. Uh, but for this week, we've just got a little mini episode for you on Jeremiah 2 for September 1st. So, Tim, what do you got for us? All right, well, let's dive in. Uh, a little bit of context here. Uh, as we discussed in our conversation last week with Brent Strawn on the first chapter of Jeremiah, and by the way, if you missed that, you should definitely go back and give it a listen. But anyway, we talked with Brent about Jeremiah's historical context. He was a prophet who had the task of speaking some unpopular messages during the final years before the conquest of Judah by the Babylonians. This was a time of stress and distress for everyone, and Jeremiah's task was to highlight the correlation between that impending disaster and the unhealth of the nation's relationship with their God. In that context, our reading for this week really should start at verse 1 of chapter 2. This whole section of the book is like a sort of extended legal case of breach of covenant being brought by God against Judah. And it starts with the first few verses of chapter 2, which go back and they sort of set that covenant in context, picturing the, the wilderness wandering as a kind of wedding or honeymoon period when the people enjoyed a super strong and faithful bond with God who led them through the wilderness and into the land where they now lived. As their covenant partner, God provided for them, protected them, and brought punishment on those who attempted to devour them. Having set that up, verses 4 to 13, our lectionary text for today, is the start of the case that God is bringing against the people of God, that they have broken that covenant. Now, the key issue in this passage has to do with the loss of exclusivity in the people's devotion. They've turned away from God and they're pursuing other deities for protection and for provision. The language that Jeremiah uses is pretty powerful. In verse 5, he says, speaking for God, that they've distanced themselves from me. And by pursuing emptiness, they've become empty. That word emptiness, hevel, is a typical word that Jeremiah uses for other gods. And sometimes it's translated uh, like vanity or vapor. You could translate that line, chasing vapor, they have vaporized. What a striking word picture of what happens when the people pursue what is not God. This problem of idolatry, which, well, idolatry is such a sort of loaded word. I like to be more precise to say that this is about the worship of things that are not God. This problem of devotion to the wrong deity is underlined at the end of the passage, too. In verse 13, Jeremiah says that the people are doubly in the wrong. First, they abandon God, who's described as a spring of flowing water. And adding insult to injury, they dug broken cisterns that won't even hold water. By comparing these alternative gods with broken cisterns, 
Jeremiah is pointing out the stupidity of the choice that the people have made. Why would you turn away from dependable clean water in order to rely on undependable water from a muddy hole? But that's what they've done in turning from covenant loyalty with God to dependence on other gods. There's a whole lot more detail in this text, but I think that that gets at the gist of what's going on with it. This, is, this, this passage is an expression of divine hurt and a sense of abandonment at the disloyalty of the people to whom God has been so faithful. So let's talk about preaching this. First, a couple preaching pitfalls. Number one, it's easy when preaching about idolatry to get so into the text that we forget our own context. Now, the most of you listening to this podcast probably identify as Christian and worship in an exclusively Christian context. We live in a religiously plural society. Christianity is not our national religion, and our national ills are not the result of people worshiping non-Christian deities. We're not the Israel or Judah of the Bible, and our covenant with God is not a geopolitical or national covenant. So when some preachers use texts like this one to pin natural disasters or other tragedies on the supposed idolatry of those outside the faith, it's a totally bogus comparison. Don't do it. Don't even get close to that. If we want to recycle this prophetic text in a Christian context, we have to do so by way of analogy, not one-to-one correlation. The kinds of questions we can ask ourselves in our congregations are, what does loyalty to God look like for us? And what are the ways that we veer away from dependence on God into putting our hopes on some other source of provision and direction? Are we pinning our hopes on vapor and thus vaporizing ourselves? The other pitfall I want to mention is that as we work out that analogy, the target idols that I usually hear mentioned in sermons are, well, first of all, money, but then, um, well, that's pretty much it. Money <laughs> is the big idol <laughs> or stuff more generally. But I wonder if we as preachers can push beyond that well-worn trope to think more deeply with our congregations about, about what distracts us from faithfulness to God. It could be appropriate to bring up idols like getting political power at all costs, or the idol of hanging on to male privilege or white privilege or hetero privilege for fear of losing it, or the idol of American exceptionalism for those of you who are in a United States context. On the local level, do we idolize our denomination or, or our church or the way things have been done for 50 years in our church? On an individual level, especially in times of upheaval, like, like the one Jeremiah lived through, and the social and environmental upheaval we find ourselves in, where do we turn for a sense of safety and security? I think those are the kinds of questions worth asking, and that's probably where I would take a sermon on this text. Yeah, well said. I, I love how you highlighted that idea of a flowing fountain and a muddy hole. You know, if for anybody who's ever spent time, so we're in Georgia right now, so it is, spoiler alert, hot. (laughs) Um, And anybody who's spent time in the summer in a really, really hot place knows that your entire body values cold water in a way that it it doesn't, it just doesn't at other times. And Mm -hmm. so to ask, what would cause you to turn from a flowing fountain to a muddy hole? You know, what is it in our in our lives that 
can misdirect us in that way. Um, and to, to broaden that conversation to the many things in our lives that can do that, I think is a great point. Yeah. You know, in Jeremiah's context, that would have been both a figurative metaphor and a kind of literal one. One of the gods that the people were pursuing was Baal, who was a storm god. And so uh, perhaps in times of drought, rather than depending on, on the god who in their tradition had brought a spring of water out of rock in the wilderness, highlighting that wilderness motif that we've been hearing in this passage, they've turned to the storm god to provide uh unpredictable rain to try to collect in these cisterns in order to provide for them. So that contrast between the the provision that God is able to provide and what Baal might be able to provide could be behind yeah. that metaphor. Yeah, it reminds me too of back when I was a rural pastor and it was planting time or harvest time and everything is dependent on how fast you can get those seeds in the ground or how fast you can get the crop out of the ground. And farmers really struggled with what to do with Sunday mornings because if it was a clear day and the weather had been bad, that could be, you know, a really hard time to lose. And yet I heard consistently from farmers, they always felt better and things seemed to go better when they would come and take a break from relying on their own provision, kind of that muddy water idea to drink from the living fountain. So if anyone's in a rural area, that's a nice analogy as well. Well, thanks, Tim. I think that's a great little wrap-up spot for this week. Uh, If you have not yet signed up for our podcast, please do that. You can do that on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. If you prefer to use the internet for some reason, you can find all of our podcasts and more at firstreadingpodcast.com. Until next time, I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. Thanks so much for listening.